0: Okay, here we go. And there's the music.
1: Bum, 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 bum,
2: bum, bum, bum. I think we are ready.
0: This is the second time we're together, all together.
1: Yes. Yes. And our topic today is the light switch, oh, the that's... gospel light switch. Gospel light switch. I thought uh, it would be good to share a little bit of our different stories. But before that, what I wanted to say is that that so often we might think um, this is about salvation, but it is not. It's not oh, this light switch means that you are saved before you are unsaved, but rather it's being able to understand uh, the Christian life, justification, sanctification, from a perspective that perhaps some of us did not uh, learn or were taught while we were young or perhaps um, even in seminary. It's actually possible. Although... It might be possible we were taught in seminary, but we didn't really understand it. So I I think that's something that I wanted to address because I think for many people, they're asking this question. And we noticed this in gospel well. It's actually happened in these past two classes. The question of, I know all this already. I've heard all of this before. And while it's a good reminder Why are we spending so much time on it? And I thought, hmm, I'd like to devote a little time discussing this topic because I think it's actually very important. Joe, what are your thoughts? It's an important topic. (laughs)
2: Why? Well, here's my question is, why does that happen, do you think? Well, one thing that comes to mind is, why does it not hit us? Why do we hear these words? And
1: I, again, I think most people ask this question, okay, I know all this. I've heard these words before. And like I said, it's a good reminder, but nothing really new. And so what are you really saying?
0: When you're saying, if somebody says this? there's nothing new.
1: Because mm-hmm. that, that is what people have said. Right. I think
0: right? I'm going to take it in two ways, which is, Yes, they have heard it before. There is a familiarity with it. And the gospel is not new because when you first place your faith in Jesus, it's because the gospel broke through. And I remember as a camper, you know, being told, probably for the hundredth time that I'm a sinner and finally at the age of somewhere, elementary or middle school, it. I realized I'm a sinner in need of Jesus Christ's salvation. Then you're told that that's what gets you saved and you're set. And then they start talking about you you hear all these things about the Christian life, sometimes unrelated to that gospel experience. And so you start, how do I live the Christian life? How do I work this out? You know, they take they tell you but it seems very random over time. Like this piece, this piece, this piece, this piece, this piece. And then so you get used to hearing all these pieces of it. You don't know that it's pieces. Mm. It's, there's a familiarity. Like I already know that. And every time they mention the gospel, it's, oh, I got saved like when I was 10 years old. There's a familiarity. But along with that familiarity, is our hearts have grown cold to or unfamiliar with that power of the gospel to truly be the fuel for the Christian life. What do you think about that theory?
2: Sounds good. (laughs) Um, Some thoughts that were popping into my mind as I was carefully listening to you. Because I'm trying to say it carefully because I'm losing my train of thought. I imagine a father pulling, uh, because I'm a father pulling my child aside, and in my sentimental deep moment with my child, I tell, I'll pick my daughter, I tell her, daddy loves you. She says, I know. Do you know how much daddy loves you? Yes. You know, daddy would be willing to do anything for you. She says, I know that, and I don't doubt that. But there's a big difference between that moment and, let's say, should the occasion arise where I had to give my life for her and I say to her, I love you. Same thing, but there's an experiential, there's a um, lacking in the former there is a lack of depth. The knowledge is there. The belief is there. The faith is there. And no doubt or questioning, but sometimes experiencing it. Um, that's just one dimension. Mm-hmm. I don't think that mm-hmm. covers all
1: mm-hmm. of it, but no, I like that, that story. Um, And that, and that's a great metaphor. I think for, and I'd like to hear your guys, uh, Personal stories on this. For me, I really believe I became a Christian. I was saved when I was 15 years old. I was at a youth rally. A pastor comes and preaches, and asked if people, whoever wants to, turn their life to Christ. And you know, pretty typical. And genuinely, I was moved, convicted of sin, placed my hope and trust in Christ and that I'm a believer. That's 15. But the rest of that, from 15 to even through seminary all the way, uh, the, the messages were generally the same. And I, I think that that's the challenge that I think we face so often is that it's um, this message of being saved, which is place your hope and trust in Christ, in light of that live for him. But as to what that really looks like and how that actually plays out as a believer of Christ, that's where it gets a little confusing. And I think sometimes, and I'm not saying, I, I don't know where, yeah, I'm, it's not about fault. It's, I, I don't want to place fault, but it's more of, I think sometimes there is this inability to really express well how the gospel or how the the life after salvation sanctification is to be lived, and so often it moves by default to works. No one would say it's works. That's just how it happens. It's It's like default
0: mode of our hearts that I think we gravitate towards, Mm -hmm. as well as preachers. Teachers also gravitate towards it's it's a strong gravitational pull that we don't even feel it, yes, but it happens.
1: It, it, I think what you said is really important that it's the teachers and preachers you're right. I, I myself inherently gravitate towards works because I feel it. We're a works based race, humanity, right? It's you do something and you gain credit or merit for it, so. And so I'm sort of hardwired to think that way. And then on top of that, to as a pastor, it's very easy to get people to be motivated through works, uh, through guilt, through shame. So there are many ways you can do that. But it, at the end of the day, it's still about personal righteousness. And I don't think I really understood or saw that. And I don't think people are intentionally doing that either. It just happens. And then when you hear it, and maybe you hear a different perspective in seminary, um, all three of us were trained under Joe more than even me and Fuji. Fuji, you too, when you went to Westminster. But even when I was at Gordon, there were some really great professors who actually believed in justification by faith alone, the grace alone. They really believed it. But even though they taught that, I just couldn't wrap my hands around it. I couldn't actually, I had no framework. So I was very much the person who said, oh, I, yeah, salvation, justification, sanctification, holiness, obedience, faith, all these words that are so much a part of the jargon of Christian life and salvation, I had all that. And so when I would listen to different preachers, and I remember, um, and I, I think I shared this before in another podcast episode, I wrote a blog and at at that time I was blogging a lot. I wrote a blog article on John Piper versus Tim Keller. Who is the better preacher? And I argued that it was Piper because I didn't get Keller at all. To me, Piper at that time, I think he's changed a little bit, but at that time it was exposit verse by verse and very high in theological um, concepts and, you know, very much based on grammar, historical context. So as a someone who's in seminary, that's why I gravitated towards it. It was so rich. Keller was not a verse-by-verse expositor. Keller is much more of a a gospel expositor, you might say. And I didn't get that. So to me, he was just more of a topical guy, and Piper was much more of a biblical guy. And so in my mind, I was thinking, oh, I, Piper's definitely the better preacher. I mean, that's, that's the way that I was thinking. And I had friends who would think that way, too. I remember I had a friend who went to Redeemer, a couple, and they ended up leaving because they felt as though, oh, man, this stuff is just there. Keller's always just preaching to um, non-Christians and new believers because he's always talking about the gospel. See, that was their mindset. It was the gospel is for a non-Christian or a new believer. It's never for the one who's maturing in faith. And I had that same framework. So it took something dramatic because I had this same idea that I think a lot of people who are taking gospel well or who hear us when we talk, they just say, I mean, you're not really saying anything new. I already know this already. And I was that person. I know this already. And it wasn't until a few things for me. So this is my story is that um, one is a friend who confronted me and said, you don't preach the gospel. I was so offended by that because I, in my mind, I was preaching the gospel. And to me, the gospel was, it wasn't about the, the implications and application of the work of Christ. It was sort of the uh, like a theological construct. And then secondly, it was just offensive because I, you know, who likes being criticized when you're preaching? It's not the easiest thing. Secondly is, um, and by, by the way, when you don't have the gospel perspective, you're definitely more sensitive about people critiquing you because you don't want to admit failure and weakness that comes with territory. Second is uh, I was actually studying um, the concept of justification and in scripture. And as I did, I was listening to someone who gave the opposite opinion, seeing faith and obedience, not necessarily as, Obedience flowing from faith, but rather, or flowing from a justification by faith, but rather they were essentially the same thing, faith and obedience, which that's a whole nother podcast, but that that can lead to some really, really uh, challenging issues. And I was just wrestling with that theologically. And the third thing is that uh, that's when we're uh, considering joining part of sovereign grace. For all its foibles, the one thing that it really did was it pressed me in towards um, to consider what it meant to have a a gospel application to ministry, and then lastly was sonship with Jack Miller and going through that and seeing that all those things happened literally at the same time. So for me, it was just being like inundated with this, and once it broke through, it literally changed the scope of everything that I did from what it meant to be a pastor, what it meant to be uh, someone in ministry, how to view the church, how to view my marriage, how to view parenting, how to view mission. All of that changed in a moment. Counseling dramatically changed. And for those who say, oh yeah, you know, I know all this. I tell you, if you don't actually have a gospel perspective, you will counsel in a very different way. That's what I found is that before it was, I had nothing to say to someone who, you know, I've, talked to people who have uh, uh, been dealing with self-harm. I've talked to people who have been suicidal. I've talked to people who have, you know, gender issues and people who, uh, you know, are adulterous and people who are trying to heal through adulterous affairs. And before, no answer. I mean, literally, I had nothing to say to them because it was all drawn from the well of my own personal, like, knowledge base and experience which is really limited. But once the gospel comes in, you can see, oh, okay, here's significance. Here's worth. Here's identity. Here's value. Here's here's where a lot of this is flowing from at the core. And then when you get the, to that place, it really gives you a, a mode and means by which you're able to care for people and love people. So the light switch, oh, and the last thing with Jerry Bridges, he was pretty significant. So the, the light switch, when it turns on, it is what Jerry Bridges says. It it goes from black and white TV to color. Doesn't mean that you're not watching TV. You can be saved. It's not that you're not saved, it's just that the world opens up. Also, reading the Bible changes how you read the Bible dramatically. So I just from a personal perspective, if you look at me pre-Gospel and post-gospel. Perspective, awakening, whatever you want to call it, um, there is a marked difference. And another thing is, I just don't think I'm uh I'm not so quick to feel like I have to defend my holiness. Which I used to do a lot. Okay. If you're a pastor, you have to be thought of this way, treated with X amount of respect. Your titles mean a lot. Um You know how people, what people think of you, the size of the church, do you have? Are you? Do you have some massive vision? What about the budget and how many people are on your staff? Or suddenly, all that—that really matter that much. So that—that's my personal story. Um, I'd love to hear you guys' personal story because i think when I hear what the people at Gospel Well are saying, at least some, not everybody. But by far, I think this is one of the greatest impediments that people face is they say, oh, I get this. Like, I already know this already. So uh, I don't really understand what you're saying. And I guess for those people, my heart is, if you really get it, you'll actually be like, I really get it. Like, it won't be, I get it. It will be, I get it. (laughs) You know, there's a big difference between the two.
0: Right. I'm going to come up right back to that. Yeah. As you're talking, it's making me think. When I was a kid, so it was 0 to 10, very self-righteous kid. My dad, the way that he would describe my childhood, very self-righteous. There's comes a moment where I go to this camp ministry, I hear the gospel, and I cannot save myself. I'm such a sinner. I need Jesus in my life. Otherwise, I'm going to go to hell. You want to go to heaven. so. At that moment, it's no more self-righteousness that I can trust in, in my self-righteousness. I get to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. I get that, get the gospel. And thereafter, there's very little talk of that. I mean, there's talk of the gospel as we preach or as we preach to non-believers, kids who aren't saved. But there's very little of what that, how that actually works out in a Christian's life. Instead of talking about that gospel, we just talk about here's what you gotta do. You gotta pray harder, you gotta have your devotions or quiet time or personal worship, you gotta read the Bible. So I've read the Bible a lot. And I think over time, my heart, if it isn't driven by the gospel, what happens is it's this default mode of the human heart of self-righteousness. I became an uber self-righteous person. I'm like when I hear the gospel, John 3:16, for God so loved the world. I already know that. I heard that it doesn't excite me at all. Why should it excite me? Because that's not what my focus is and that's not what I'm, what's driving me now. That's just something that saved me 14 years ago. And so I would say, oh yeah, I already know that. But as you say, a person who, here's one of the indications that you, The light is turned on is when you hear John 3.16, when you hear the gospel, you'll say, I already heard that, I love it. Preach it, brother, tell me more. I want to hear it. You're excited for it, even though this is the thousandth or ten thousandth time you heard it. I'm so thankful that with, with Lisa, like we get on that topic often and I'm like, whoa, one more time, I need to hear that. And we learn from one another.
1: Well, that's the thing is that I feel like the person who doesn't get this, they read the Bible two or three times the same passage and they'll say, "Okay, I I, I understand," and they move on. Or ah, oh, this isn't this is sort of boring. Or yeah, that's that's interesting. Or what does this do for me in my life? But the person who reads it a thousand times and gets the gospel, they. Every time they're finding the treasure of knowing Christ greater, sweeter, it's uh it's, it doesn't mean that literally every second you're having this epiphany or
0: right. retreat moment. Yeah. yeah.
1: But it's, it, there is, I think there is a point where you go and you read scripture and you just, you do find it more exciting. You do find it more spectacular, the way in which God has woven together his word redemptively through a historical redemptive narrative that, you know, you're going to cover coming soon. And we will cover in some respect, but that picture of what God has done through Christ makes God's word come alive. And so you can read it a thousand times. And it is sweeter each time versus. and So that's the thing is that it has nothing to do with the number because again, you can read it twice and find it boring and you can read it a thousand times and find it more exhilarating than ever. That's uh that's just the benefit of it. So Joe, your story. Like,
2: well, my story kind of similar came to the Lord in 13. Um, even though the next five, six years were ugly. But, uh, by the way, I like what you said, you,
1: you know, how you said, uh, I don't, I'll use the number 23. You said you've been saved 23 times. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot. It, it was yeah. a lot. Yeah. It, but actually that's helpful. Actually. Um, even my son, Jack, he found that very helpful. Oh, okay. You mind sharing that? I know that's sort of not, it's a little bit along the lines of what we're talking about.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I attended every, uh, <laughs> Revival meeting, I think that's what we called them back then. And there would be three sessions over the weekend. I was probably saved three times over the course of that weekend. I mean, it was, yeah. And I think for many years, I doubted the legitimacy of coming to the Lord at 13. But when the light really started to come on and shine, I realized that it was permanent, that it was irreversible. And I, I think for me, that light was sort of like a dimmer. It was just getting brighter and brighter. And I remember even after I was already an ordained pastor and the first brightness kind of clicked in and I realized, you know, the gospel that saves us as sinners is equally applicable for saints, Christians. But I think then it was just starting to kind of seep in and marinate a bit. Um, And yet for me, I think when it really got bright was, and and I'm sure it's different for many people, But it was when I was at my lowest point, uh, unemployed, uh, PhD in my back pocket, and my house of cards had crumbled. And I think that's, I know, I know that's when it got really bright at my lowest moment to really see what the depth and the the breadth of his love for, for me you know as you were talking earlier i'm thinking just the fact and i'm sure i've i've asked that same question many a time but you know why do we have i know this already why i think once you ask that you're you're in a bad place and you know i would want for that person or even for myself if i were to say it to examine why am I even asking that question? What motivates me to ask that? What else am I looking for? If, if Jesus is really about him alone and salvation is about Christ alone, then what else am I looking for? I've already deviated and wandered a bit there, or it hasn't completely made sense um, to me. And I don't know, this isn't, I always sort of think of metaphors, but um, you know, Scripture tells us that we're given a new mind, a new heart, a new soul, and it's Christ who lives in us. It's the Holy Spirit that now dwells in us. And I kind of the the image I was getting as you were talking earlier was of a doctor and a patient. And the patient typically, doctor, I just want to know, am I good to go? Is the cancer gone? Um, is it going to return? They just want to know, you know what is a result? What are the end results? How does that apply today? And, and there's no, I think it's not a coincidence that um, we're told to walk by faith and not by sight. That's sort of our, our fleshly instinct, but, you know, we're given the surgeon's eyes and the surgeon's mind, and the surgeon's heart and to now filter everything through the gospel means to see our lives as the surgeon sees it and rather than okay can I do this now can I do that is it gone Uh, what's the progress rather than the process the diagnosis of it and how it's actually been removed and to really treasure and appreciate what has happened Because the more we know, I mean, I would think for a surgeon who often comes in and says, hey, you're cured because they've done that work. uh, I would think for many patients, there's a little bit of doubt that lingers because we haven't done that work. But through the gospel, we're able to understand and receive and believe in the work that Christ has done. That just gives us greater confidence each and every day. This is just the tip of the
0: iceberg, it really is. Um, of this topic of how does a light turn on? Mm-hmm. Why was the light turned
1: off? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually a, that might be a whole nother question.:
0: Yeah, like what is going on in ministry, in our churches, in our lives that does not uh, allow the fire of the gospel to continue, and there needs to be a rekindling if to use that metaphor. Mm-hmm. So hopefully Gospel Well is useful towards that end of turning the light on. In ourselves, every time I teach it, I'm like, wow, I'm learning a lot Mm -hmm. about how the gospel works in me, how the gospel works from scripture. So hopefully you all who are listening, we can walk each other through it. Thanks for this week. We have a few more weeks of Gospel Well for this season.
1: Have a great week. See you on Tuesday.